Welcome to More Than A Few Words, a marketing conversation for business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundpeg, where we believe that marketing strategy should be delivered in plain English. This is Lorraine Ball. This is Jared Jewett. And this week I want to talk about OPC. What does that stand for? I've never actually heard the term. Well, that's because I've made it up. Oh. So, what OPC is, well, to understand that, you really need to understand OPM, which is other people's money. Awesome. So that's a business term, right, if I'm understanding it correctly? Absolutely. Uh, There is this fundamental principle in business. It's very kind of well accepted, this idea that if you've got an idea and you want to grow a business... One of the most effective ways to accelerate your growth is by using other people's money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great way to mitigate risk, too. And so you've got, whether it's a loan or a, an investor coming to the table, whatever money you have, the impact is multiplied because other people are involved. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in the world of marketing and brand building, what we're seeing in a lot of arenas is that if you want to accelerate the growth of your brand. If you, if you want to build awareness a little bit faster, the way to do it is with other people's content. Yeah. OPC. Brilliant. That's totally great. Now, I'm going to tell you that right off the bat, when I say OPC, I'm not talking about scrapers that go out and kind of grab information that they really don't have the rights to and slap it on their website and say, hey, this is mine. That's bad. Yeah, I think that's a very good distinction, actually. I mean, I... I I could understand uh, people listening, you know, maybe thinking that's that's the way to do it um, and not understanding that you definitely need to get this organic growth. And you need to have permission. So what you really want to do is create opportunities for people to share words, pictures, thoughts, and ideas with you and about you. Okay, so I'm totally sold on this idea of other people's content, right? Because it gets us right where your audience wants to be, right? I mean, your audience knows what they want. And if they're the people telling you uh, the kind of content you need to produce and letting you use what they already want to talk about, you're already one step ahead. So what are maybe some examples? So the t- and first off, although I use the term other people's content, you probably, as you're reading and want to learn more about this, you're more likely to find information if you use the phrase user-generated content. Yeah, that's the one I've heard most often. Absolutely. So there are a couple of different kinds, and the first and probably the most common, the one people think of, is this whole area of reviews. Yeah, reviews are huge. There are multi, there's a multi-billion dollar industry built specifically around reviews of all sorts. And uh, some of this comes... You know, everybody says, oh, it's the millennials and the millennials. And yes, this is a generation that has grown up using their smartphones and feeling like they can comment and interact. But I got to tell you, it's not just your generation that is really embracing this idea of, I want to know what other people think. I think that's a great point. I think if more and more people, especially outside my generation, uh, adopt and become more comfortable with the technology. I mean, it's human nature to want to trust uh, one another. I mean, what, what's the statistic? Like 85% of uh, smartphone social media users are, are totally trusting online restaurant reviews, uh, but from fellow diners, much, much more than from these professional food 
uh, review sites. I can tell you, we travel all over the world, and I never go anywhere without my TripAdvisor app. Oh, yeah. And we've been in some of the most amazing restaurants because we're sitting in our hotel and we're reading the TripAdvisor and we're reading the reviews of other people and we were in um, we were in, in Tel Aviv and Andy found this great little restaurant and it was fabulous description down in Jaffa took the bus down there got off the bus and thought to myself we're going to die I don't know where you have put us and he kept saying no no the reviews say this place is great I'm like they're lying yeah and we come around this corner and here's this restaurant on the on the ocean fabulous restaurant enormous hundreds of people in this place would never have seen it from the road and it had to be the very best meal we had that entire trip that is an awesome story do you think that that restaurant even knows that they're getting these kind of trip advisor reviews i mean obviously it sounds like like they're doing very well but do you think that's even part of their strategy right now um it may or not be part of their strategy but we stayed in a, a hotel somewhere else, and they had just opened, or had just opened under this new, whatever the umbrella was, and again, amazing service, and they were like, hey, um, would you mind doing a TripAdvisor review for us? We are new. If you, if you like us, please, please, please. And so they were actively promoting it. And I think that's really the key, is people... Um, People want to know. They want to know what other people are, are finding that's good, that's not good. And um, the other side of it is people like sharing their experiences. Oh, totally. Everyone wants you to know that they had a great time, mm -hmm. that they were happy, that they were satisfied. And, and really to bring it back around, that's not something you can write. That's not something your brand can write. That's something that's content that your audience has to write and you can take advantage of. And so as a business, and this really, I mean, I know a lot of people think restaurants and they think hotels, but sites like Angie's List, plumbers, roofers, um, sites like CNET that do reviews of technology. If you are in an industry offering products and services, there's a review site out there for you somewhere. And so you need to have a strategy. How are you going to ask customers for reviews? Where do you want them to review you? And what are you doing to monitor the comments to be sure if there is a negative review that you respond? Absolutely. And, you know, I would even suggest from a search standpoint... If you don't think there's a place where you need to actually be out there, but I guarantee you there is, if you have the capacity, even on a really small scale and you're a small business, to create just a tiny section, where, like a forum even, where someone can put reviews for you on your site, do it. Absolutely do it. Well, the, the wonderful thing about reviews, and I'm going to stay on that search um, concept for just a moment, your customers will talk about your product or your service in their words. And those words, those phrases and terms are the same terms that other people will use when they come looking for you. So have a page on your website 
where you post reviews. Send a follow-up email to your customers that says, hey, we really enjoyed working with you. If you've got any questions, please contact us. But oh, by the way, here's a link to Yelp or Google Plus or Angie's List or wherever review site, Hotels.com, TripAdvisor, that makes sense. Please post a comment. Um, real world, not just theory. We have these programs in place now for a lot of our clients. And two things happen. Number one, they're getting more people are likely to pick up a telephone and call them and say, hey, this kind of isn't working for me. I think you, you hit on an awesome point there, right? It really takes reaching out. And I think this moves into the kind of the next point we want to make that it sometimes really does take you going out there and soliciting uh, this content. I mean, a lot of it, it, hopefully, if you're doing your job, is going to come organically. But, uh, but sometimes you do have to get your hands dirty. And when you go out and you ask, now you're getting people who maybe were or weren't 100% happy, but you've reached out again, so they think, wow, these guys really care. You, you're given the opportunity to be fabulous. The other thing that we are seeing is, as companies embrace this, it doesn't happen overnight, but suddenly Yelp starts showing up in the list of the top five or top ten referring sites. Suddenly, you're getting traffic. People are finding you on Yelp. They're finding you on these different review sites. And now, that's becoming a source, and you are becoming a vendor of choice because there are positive reviews out there about you. Yeah, these platforms are specifically built to reward uh, positive reviews because they're in the business of making sure that people only have the best experiences. So again, if you get out there and you start soliciting uh, this very positive uh, feedback and user-generated content about your brand, uh, the more likely you are to, to bring in a bigger audience. The other thing, again, is um, even if you're not actively soliciting, and, and of course... You, I think you should be, but if you're not actively soliciting, you better be actively monitoring because people are going to talk about you whether or not you ask them to. Right, and it takes time to get into the conversation. It will take uh, time away from what you're doing, but it's so important. It is absolutely important. You have to build it into your strategy. You know, uh, I work with a lot of home services companies, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that because what if something says something bad about Someone says something bad about me. Well, here's the bottom line, folks. People are going to say both good and bad. What if they say something bad and you don't know it? Right. And then you can't respond to it. You have no way of mitigating or, or fixing the issue. So... Reviews are definitely the most common when people think about user-generated content, but there's tons of other great examples of companies using this idea of crowdsourcing to build awareness, to help them create products. Um, one of my favorites, and this is kind of in this category of source material, um, Jimmy Fallon. He does a hashtag where he asks a question and basically has his community write his, his show for him. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? He gets a whole five, seven, ten minutes worth of show out of reading these hilarious tweets 
that he solicits. And it's as easy as asking a question or asking his audience to share stories. And so in that instance, kind of the, I think the takeaway for any business is if you're looking for information, if you have built a community that you're actively engaged with, you're going to get a lot of information and answers. Um, I'm getting ready for a presentation. Well, actually, by the time you hear this program, I will have given this presentation on user-generated content. I went to a couple of LinkedIn groups that I was a member of, and I asked the question, hey, I'm working on this presentation. Can you guys give me some examples? Um, another time, I went to, to my communities and said, hey, we've been using do.com, and that product is going away. Anybody got suggestions on what I can replace it with? That's so awesome. I, I like how your first example was kind of an inception, kind of uh, source material within source material. Uh, but it's very important that you were able to recognize a group that was willing and ready to give that kind of feedback. And one of the tips, one of the things that I think a lot of people forget to close the loop is they throw the... Um, they throw the question out there, they get all the information, and they forget to say thank you. Yeah. You know, when um, people responded to one of my questions, I went through, and even if it was a stupid answer, I went through and I liked it or I replied, because social media is about ego. Oh, totally. And you want to guarantee that you never get responses again from the same people? <laughs> yeah, is, is you don't say thank you. And it, it's such a little thing, and it, it makes people feel appreciated. Now, if Jimmy Fallon has shared your story, I'm pretty sure those people now bookmark him and follow him and deliberately try to hashtag and get in that conversation to get noticed. And because he has such a large group, he can't acknowledge everyone, but... It's kind of like B.F. Skinner's intermittent reinforcement. You don't have to give every rat a pellet every day in order to, for him to continue to keep trying. Just right. every now and then you got to make sure that people see, oh, she says thank you. Oh, she retweets or she replies or acknowledges. And across the board, that's the thing with um, this kind of content you have to have a way to ask for it. You have to have a way to collect it and you and to use it and then to say thank you. Absolutely. And uh, just like you said before, it's there's two sides of it. That a lot of it is ego-based. So a lot of people, you know, really want to give you this their own content so that they get recognized. And, of course, the other half of it are people who genuinely care about your brand and, and want uh, to make sure you're doing things better. Um, and, you know, love you for what you are, but if, they're, if they think their advice can help you uh, get to the next level, uh, they're absolutely on board with, with creating and sharing this content. And so, you know, you've got kind of source material. You know, another way to kind of engage people is through contests. And, um, you know, I've seen Facebook contests and Instagram contests. And in those instances, I think... Uh, we've had both success and failures. Yeah, and it all comes down to complexity. Absolutely. So um, we started two contests almost on the same day. One was, hey, 
share a picture of your pet and get your friends to vote for your pet to win a free day of grooming for your pet. Pretty simple. Upload photo, send link. The other one, share a recipe and a picture and then we'll, and we'll pick the one we like. Mm -hmm. There was, there, it was missing, unfortunately, I think, that level of instant gratification. We asked them to do two pretty specific things and then to wait, which, uh, which didn't pan out. And so um, part of the challenge is people could come across the pet contest and see it. If they could see it on Facebook, they could see it on their phone, and odds are, if you're a pet owner, you've got a picture already on your Facebook page. You've got a picture already in your phone. All you had to do was push upload, and you were instantaneously in the contest. Totally. I mean, it takes two seconds, right? You remove uh, any sort of barrier, right? You, you, you raise the, the ease of access, and all, yeah, all someone has to do is click upload. Done. And... All of a sudden, they're in a contest to win something. That That's they, huge. And so that was great. Now, the the recipe contest, I might see it, and, oh, I've got a recipe that would work, and I could start typing in my recipe, but now I have to have a picture, and, wow, I haven't made that. And so suddenly, oh, yeah, I'll get back to it. And you never did. Right. And so we're, um, we're going to re redo that contest and go back to, hey, Cook something and send us a picture. And I think we have a much better shot of getting some interaction and some entries based on just the pictures and then asking people to vote on what they're most likely to want to eat. Oh, totally. And I, I think that's a concept that goes across all of this uh, kind of gathering of user-generated content is that if you can lower any sort of barrier to entry, you're, you know, essentially open the floodgates you're definitely going to get a much larger volume of content rolling in. So, as you're kind of thinking about your own user-generating strategy, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. The first is the contest and the content itself builds awareness of your brand, creates some conversation, and so that's very positive. You have an opportunity, however, to do more. And particularly with the, some of these photo contests where people are voting, it gave us an opportunity to build an email list. Yeah, uh, that's the other half of generating user content, is making sure those users stick with you and you're reaching back out to them. And so one of the things that we did on the pet contest was we sent a thank you note to everybody who entered and everybody who voted, because we had their email addresses, and you know, thank them for participating, but also let them know that the company that ran the contest had just made a significant contribution to the Humane Society. These were people who were interested in animals, and we made that connection. So they had a little bit of fun. Somebody wanted rooming day for their dog, and everybody walks away going, wow. Those guys like animals. Isn't that cool? I mean, literally knocking out three birds with one stone, you know, and, and that just being a, a contest, an easy photo upload contest. And there are a lot of web tools. We happen to use Wishpond for that, but there are a lot of tools that can do it and relatively inexpensive. Um, the last thing, and this is kind of a different 
um, uh, use of user-generated content is really designed to build awareness of brands or events. And um, I had a chance recently to see this in action, and I thought it was, you know, brilliant. But anytime you're going to have an event, create a hashtag. Make sure all your participants know there's a hashtag. And suddenly in Twitter and Facebook or Instagram, there's lots of conversations going on and your name just keeps popping up over and over and over again. I think this strategy really kind of blossomed with the advent and kind of the adoption of social media. I mean, there are... uh, Foursquare is a good example, I think. Uh, When it was in its heyday, it was used primarily for events and getting content about these events out on Twitter, on Facebook, and people coming together to talk about the experience they were having. Well, and like at a conference, for example, the advantage is when you follow the hashtag... If there are multiple sessions going on, you can get updates from the sessions you didn't attend. If for some reason you can't be at an event, you can still follow the conversations, get links to the presentations based on what's going on in the timeline. And so as an event organizer, you certainly want to do that. But then I think there's kind of that next level, and I've seen some really good use of this, where you get a select group of people and specifically create an experience for them designed to promote and, again, expand your brand. So um, the Super Bowl did it with their Social 46 here in Indianapolis, and I just had a chance to go to the the Brickyard um, 400 as a member of a social influencer group. I got tickets to the event, and when I got there... They sort of laid out for us a little bit of information and then kind of gave us a scavenger hunt designed to get us to deliberately move around the track sharing our experiences. That was really brilliant. I thought it was a great use of a small community. They had tickets. It didn't really cost them a lot. The only mistake I think they made was I got a sheet that had literally eight hashtags Four different ones for, uh, so it was for all the different sponsors, it was for everything. I had Twitter handles, Facebook handles, hashtags, Instagram handles. This page must have had 14 different, and most of the hashtags were too long. Yeah, that's, uh, and we'll keep coming back to it. I mean, it's the idea of why have such a high barrier to entry? Right? Why make it so difficult when people, when you can just use one hashtag for your event, make it very easy for people who are going to be sharing this content anyways to, to talk about you. Anything really beyond, uh, beyond condensing it down to one or two hashtags is, is, sounds kind of crazy to me. Well, I mean, and I know they wanted to, they wanted, because Crown Royal and Kroger were both sponsors, um, you know, they were calling it the uh, JWW 400. They wanted to get that there. They wanted the Indy, Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IMS. But the truth was, the message got so diluted, most of us were working in Twitter. We had 140 characters. So if you're going to have an event, pick one hashtag. Give people some examples of... Now, this they did do. I had a couple of sample tweets and... Then give them things to do that they can take photos of, that they can share the content and, and help share your story. 
Yeah, you again, you've got to tee it up for people. Absolutely. So, we could go on forever. What I'd like to do instead is extend an invitation. Number one, um, if you are listening to this on iTunes, go to morethanafewwords.com and you will find this podcast along with a copy of my PowerPoint deck from my presentation. You'll also find a link to a blog post about this same topic. And what I'd love you to do is share in the comments one or two suggestions of your own successful user-generated content programs. This has been another episode of More Than A Few Words. Thanks for listening.